0: Clearly, I'm not a man. I'm very much a woman, Um, but I have a dad and I have an older brother and three uncles. And even my mom, who's a pilot and served in the Air Force for nearly 30 years, is also pretty much a dad. Um, And for most of their lives, both my parents have been athletes. So you can only imagine the amount of time they've spent in locker rooms, not allowed to show weakness. The entire world was basically a competition for them. You get the idea. So for me, the concept of being tough, sucking it up, or even manning up to not be called a pussy by my mom were fundamental parts of my household. I think I can count the number of times I've seen a family member cry on one hand.
1: Wow, you must be pretty tough.
0: I'd say I am, but it also has meant a lot of hiding emotions, suppressing feelings, fear in asking for help with my mental health, and a complex struggle with my own gender and sexuality. It wasn't until I moved out and came to a women's college that I realized that my experience for the first 18 years of my life, of sucking it up all the time, might have been a masculine one. Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome to our podcast. My name is Annie. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Pretty Angry, the podcast where we try to investigate and articulate what the hell women are yelling about. Right. See, Annie and I are seniors at a
1: women's college, which means for the past four years, we've interacted almost exclusively with women on a day-to-day basis.
0: Each week, we're bringing you into some of the conversations we've had on campus about what it means to be a woman in 2018.
1: Well, actually, today we're talking about what it's like to be a man.
0: Oh boy. We talked a lot about the expectations around women's personality in last week's episode. We are nice, nurturing, and pretty, but men too are boxed in, usually expected to be tough, unemotional, and independent.
1: Last year, I watched a movie on this idea, a documentary called The Mask You Live In. It opened my eyes to
0: a lot. If you're a woman, you might not have grown up being told to man up. But if you're a man, you've probably been told that multiple times throughout your life. As a result, instead of articulating their feelings or leaning on their friends and family, many boys try to bottle it up. This documentary explained that many do this because growing up, if they cried or complained, they were told to man up.
1: That sucks. I mean, it must. (laughs) I I couldn't imagine something like I needed to deal with everything on my own and I couldn't imagine trying to open up to a friend only to feel like worse about myself because that meant I was more weak somehow.
0: But these aren't things that we as women really understand, even after watching a great documentary.
2: I'm originally from Miami, Florida. Uh, right now, a junior at Columbia College studying economics and political science. Uh, That's
1: Joseph. He's a student here at Columbia and, you guessed it, a man. Last week... We had an episode um, all about gender schemas, and we talked a lot about women and what their kind of role is and how everyone, men and women, think about women, um, maybe as, like, nurturing or as emotional and different things. How do you think the, like, what do you think the male schema is? Uh,
2: Heavy question, maybe. Yeah, that is a very A lot of things, yeah. But I think that it's, like, very worth examining. Because obviously, like, my schema for masculinity is going to look very different from... You know, someone else, just depending on the background, like just yeah. by fact of being raised evangelical mm. um, and having like that big biblical foundation there or being raised Latino and then having that whole other um, schema, I guess, to consider as well. Like, yeah, I guess a lot of the associations that I have with being male is like you're supposed to be, I guess, like more dominant in situations. So uh you're definitely... Supposed to be a more dominant figure, you're supposed to be the breadwinner. Uh, you're supposed to have a deeper voice, you're supposed to wear pants. Uh, you're not supposed to wear anything that's too tight. You're not Mm -hmm. supposed to, I don't know, inflect your voice like this when you get super excited. And yeah, it's like it's a lot of things that you can like imagine right off the bat. Oh, yeah, breadwinner that's historical, that's just how it's always been. But then it's also just very nuanced things like. I can't hold my hand a certain way without someone thinking, like, oh, wait, that's not very masculine. And it's just, like, literally just dangling (laughs) my hand a certain way. That is so
1: nuanced. It's like we have more freedom, I think, like, within our actions. In men, it seems like a very narrow line. Like, if you step out of, yeah, like, a voice range or, like, a a hand motion, then you're suddenly, like outside the box or something
2: growing up there were so many instances where there would just be like those little peculiarities that my parents would point out to me and then yeah just I I would have to conform like Mm. and I would just do it just because I figured hey my parents know best like might as well do it they they know what's up
1: so would they tell you directly like hey yeah
2: honestly half the time it wasn't even my parents my Mm. parents weren't too strict about that end. if anything like I think that among my family members my sister and I were maybe the ones that were raised like the most egalitarian. Mm. Um, egalitarian Lee, out of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I, I had like a lot of like aunts and uncles, which would specifically be like doing that. And they would kind of be policing like my entire family. Wow. And like I have, so I have a very big family and they all are mostly also evangelical Latinos. And then I also have a lot of cousins who in the last several years have also come out as lgbt mm. um or they've come out of as queer of some sort and i those same aunts and uncles are the same ones that are still trying to police their actions like yeah. they'll be like hey i mean if you're gonna be like a gay male at least be a male like at least be masculine while you're doing it <laughs> um wow. and it's just it's stuff like that that i think that that that's really just worth questioning and, and asking like why why is that so important uh, why is it so important that this person conform to this model for how their life should look instead yeah. of their model for how their life should look and what will ultimately make them happier? There were just ways that like you can talk to a woman that um or should talk to a woman, which were very like prescribed like
1: what like what were those ways
2: or so for example, like you i don't know like you can't be rude to a girl uh you can't be and and the thing is I guess what bothered me about it is that I was taught, again, back to the Christian morality thing. <laughs> this is going to be uh, just in the my theme. life. It's obviously very pervasive. Yeah, of course. I I just assumed you should be treating everyone right. Like, why should I do this just because you're a girl? And like, for example, even like having to open a door for a girl. Like, I, I'm i the type of person that tries to do that for everyone regardless. But
1: Part of the like gentleman kind of uh, expectation is like the underlying expectation is about females being like delicate or something and like in like needing the door open for them.
0: I've never thought about it <laughs> like that.
1: I'm interested more in in like you growing up and, and the messages that you explicitly got as yeah. a man because yeah, we never have gotten them. So and... obviously
2: like a lot of it is just going to be cues that you pick up from family members. Like I, for example, I would see whenever there's something heavy to be picked up, like the men in my family would just flock, go, go pick the thing up. <laughs> So that's something that I just I do like if I see my boss coming into the office and she's carrying a big box First thing I'm gonna do is always ask. Hey, do you need help with that? Um, and that's just something that's lodged in my brain and then another thing I picked up on was there was actually one of my cousins He has a tendency to just cross his arms whenever he stands Um, That's something I guess a lot of people do but he does it like a lot um (laughs) To the point where one of my aunts like explicitly told him like, hey, don't don't stand with your arms crossed like that. That's women do that. They, they do that because they have boobs. Um, she said <laughs> this in Spanish, but <laughs> I don't um, know if
1: that's even true. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. And I
2: remember I was like 11 when I heard this and I was literally just like, what? But I'm pretty sure I was also I also had like my arms crossed. So I was immediately like, oh, wait, let me drop them. <laughs> Wow. Because God forbid I'm I'm a girl because I cross my arms. Yeah,
0: yeah, God forbid you're yeah, a female. It's like unnecessary divisions of gender. It's just like only women can cross arms. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, okay. Would do you
1: feel like being attracted to women sexually is part of the male schema or like part of like what's expected of being manly?
2: So, going back to the same female friends that I had growing up, a lot of those friendships, just as we got older, especially past, like, 13, um, those friendships just started breaking down because I saw that space specifically get very gendered and get very just divided. So, that relationship, which was once fine because it wasn't sexual, just was no longer fine because now it's just assumed whether she was attracted to males or not, or whether I'm attracted to females or not. It's just assumed this is going to turn into something sexual, therefore right. cut it. That being said, like as a man, if I'm not explicitly sexual, I feel like that's also like taking away from my masculinity. For example, I'm not the type of person to like go to a bar really and like hit on someone. I, I just, I- I'm not comfortable with it. It's just not my, fi- my yeah. like my style. Right. But, Like the fact that I don't do that and the fact that I'm not like, I guess, ostentatious about displaying that sexuality um, has also, I guess, brought the ire of some of my family members and some of my friends back home as well, where they'll be like, hey, I mean, like you're you're never going to find a girlfriend like if you do it, (laughs) if you don't do that. Um yeah. but then i also have to be like yo who says i'm trying to find a girlfriend <laughs> just like period <laughs> like like could yeah. be a boyfriend could be a girlfriend could be a no friend yeah it's none of your business to begin with like, yeah because yeah. yes like i i think men are inherently sexual right. i guess but also i mean like obviously women are also sexual but mm. i don't know just like men are horny <laughs> yeah and men are impatient and i think that it's definitely also just like a self-fulfilling cycle. Like society Mm. is telling you be impatient, get what you want. You need it. It's natural. Yeah. Right. But they're not telling women that.
0: Like I didn't know women masturbated till I got to college. Um, yeah.
2: Damn.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It it was like, it was taboo for like women to talk about masturbation and sexuality. But like, I feel like every single guy in my high school would have like come to come to school wearing a shirt being like i love jacking off and it would have been like accepted yeah, that, yeah. i guess
1: that was more of like where i was thinking like for men it's more like ex- expected or just maybe just ex- accepted that they're sexual definitely. beings definitely um but i also yeah i just wonder if there's any like like pressure in that too yeah. um
2: well i mean i think also just like How many times have you heard a conversation where guys are like basically measuring their dicks, like counting, like talking about their body count or literally measuring their dicks. Like, (laughs) It's just like, it's definitely something that's just ingrained into our psyche. Like if you're not out there procreating or like carrying out the act, like you're, you're just not that much of a guy.
0: One of the other things that we have talked about, what is like, the norms and expectations of women being pretty and I have never really thought about the like physical expectations for men yeah. is that something that you have experienced or like has been part of like your life growing up so yeah. I
2: actually just like finished losing like 50 pounds wow yeah so very Congrats. very proud of that thank you <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. um so and I'm like still continuing that but that was maybe like I guess my biggest issue growing up, like self-esteem wise, at least, um, just the fact that I grew up and I was like, yo, I'm fat. Like (laughs) like everyone, like the guys around me are the most manly men around me. Like they're supposed to have these like bulging biceps and defined muscles and I don't know, abs at least. And like, (laughs) yeah, I just, I, I physically did not have that. I could not have that. I had too much of a body fat percentage to have that. And like now I'm, I'm still not there. Hopefully, I will be soon. Um, (laughs) Give me a couple of months. It's about to be over. Look out. Uh, But, yeah, that definitely, I think that that was part of it. And I think that also just, like, even if you are overweight, it's like, okay, if you're going to be overweight, at least, like, be strong. Like, have muscles. Be big. Right. I just, no one in my family has a strong torso. That was an issue for me. (laughs) Yeah, so there, there are definitely also just, like...
1: Expectations, Yeah,
2: these expectations for, like, the ideal masculine form. And there are alternatives to it, and there are hierarchies to it. Like, you know, obviously we can't all be Zac Efron, but if you're not <laughs> Zac Efron, at least, like, have a dad bod. If you don't have a dad bod, at least, like, I don't know, be able to lift a bag of something <laughs> heavy. I, I don't... I, yeah. Yeah.
1: Do men, like, talk about their insecurities about their bodies with each other? Because for women, it's a really common... And also kind of problematic thing to to like, we call ourselves fat yeah. all the time. And like, it's like a really like conversational thing. You'd be like, oh, I hate myself. Or like, oh, I don't need to go on a diet. Like, that's a really common thing to yeah. hear as a female. Um, is that the same from like men? Like, do you guys talk about that? I, I mean, like.
2: Or I mean, your experience. Yeah, I like, know it's, we're yeah. talking about like all of men. Yeah, It's for like sure. you're one person. <laughs> I, I would definitely say to a lesser extent. At the least, it's to a lesser extent. But it's something like where when at least to to an average friend like not closest friend ever but just like an average friend of mine if I'm talking about something like that it's usually like in a more humorous context right like I'm making fun of it instead of in if anything and they're maybe like making fun too, poking fun at themselves or at me too and I yeah like
1: for <laughs> my way sorry
2: no it's all good um <laughs> But it's never really, like, direct. Like, I'm never, like, yo, yeah, I, I, I like, grew up overweight, so I have, like, a lot of self-esteem issues because of that. Like, no, I, I'm never going to do that. I'm just going to be yeah. like, haha, I was fat. <laughs> but I think a lot of it is also just the expectations that you have. You know, like, I shed my first tear in front of my family. I think it it was in August. Like, my, my wow. grandma, she just passed away. I saw my grand-great-uncle, I think that that's the term for it, bury his mother. And he i just saw it like it it was something out of a movie like he shed a single tear wiped (laughs) it away and that was it he was done went about the day his voice returned to normal like he was just with it yeah and like obviously everyone has different pain tolerances but i don't know there's just a lot to unpack there
1: i know I i wonder what the consequences are of all these men like yeah there has to be some level of like suppression like i yeah, feel like it, it's hard to sure. imagine someone like genuinely like not being sad enough to like super cry over like their mother for sure um
2: i think it's just you have a lot of emotionally fucked up guys nice. if you're not granted the time to grieve and the time to process emotions and the time to process events um uh, you know everyone has their own shit everyone has their own trauma but if you can't actually process that you're never going to get better and you're never you're never going to be able to move forward like
0: there's this growing conversation around mental health that's like very important right now but i see a lot of it being really centered on women and i thinking back now i I don't know if i've ever seen or talked to a man about his mental health
2: like one of the reasons why i personally for example held off on um going to Columbia psychological services or going to therapy, um, was just because of the fact that I was like, like I'm stronger than this. Like, and that's what I kept on telling myself. And, you know, I do ultimately think I'm a strong person, you know, I, I can get through whatever life throws at me, but at the same time, you need to be able to give yourself that moment to realize, Hey, I'm not everything. I still have things to work through. I still need to sit down and have someone else just help me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're, you're definitely not encouraged to reach out for help. You're encouraged to be the help.
1: Oh, the statistics off the top of my head. But like, um, male, um, suicide rates are so much higher, higher yeah. than female suicide rates. Um, so obviously mental illness does impact men hugely. And I, and I can't help but think like our, our expectation for men to not ever talk about their emotions, um, and like bottle it up is has to contribute so strongly
2: i think that that's also especially exacerbated in communities of color mm. um, especially like we're community in, in communities where you know you don't have a therapist every half mile or so yeah. you know like you i don't went have to, the money for a therapist yeah exactly like i like in my neighborhood for example i i lived in the little havana neighborhood of miami um, still live there um which is like inner city miami right off the bat i can point out like where the orthodontist is like where the therapist is where the psychiatrist offices and like there were a lot of just different health professionals there who i from my house at least would have had to drive at least two three miles to get to and i'm in a big city you know like this isn't this isn't just any small city in the united states miami is one of the largest cities in the united states one of the wealthiest cities in the united states um and even that disparity is shocking and you know thank god i just growing up i didn't really need any of those services but what if i did right um and wow. you know sure i had a car but then what if i didn't <laughs> yeah. and there there are a lot of people who are just left by the wayside by different factors like that
1: yeah and i wonder if also culturally um for, for different I'm saying for you just in yeah. general different cultures have different like stances on mental health as well yeah and like if you're a young person and you need your parents to drive you to a psych- psychological service or like you need the money for one it's there's so many different barriers
0: to possibly getting
3: help.
1: Yeah.
0: So there's this idea of toxic masculinity. Um, and I was wondering how you would define that. Um, and if you feel like you have been impacted by it or experienced it in any way.
2: Yeah. Just like at the core of it, toxic masculinity is just the type of masculinity that's posing a burden to other people carrying out their lives. Um, toxic masculinity at least has a tendency to just you know be dominant be sexual be all of these things that are part of the male schema um but do it to an extent where it just genuinely makes other people uncomfortable to just be and to just exist in the same space sometimes and it's a type of masculinity that doesn't even question oh how would i look at this differently if i were a female um the type of masculinity that also just disqualifies any experience that isn't male any mm-hmm. um profession that isn't male any fashion that isn't male just... i
1: wonder too how exhausting it would be to be a person who is trying who is like i guess um who who has toxic masculinity i don't know if it's the thing you have it seems very the the men that i've met who immediately like rub me around the wrong way or like i just see is like wow they're they really want to be that like perfect masculine yeah. like standard that just also seems very exhausting
2: no it's definitely it's definitely exhausting i mean yeah. i i've caught myself in situations where also just like like even when i'm like in an interview i just know the fact that like if i present as more masculine i'm gonna come off as more dominant more sure of myself more confident all that jazz right so you might just... get
1: a job more <laughs> maybe but, right isn't that like part yeah. of yeah. it too
2: yeah. yeah but then i'll just automatically just drop my voice and wow. i'll go from speaking like this to maybe more speaking like this and my voice doesn't alternate as much and Ooh. like i i've just i've gotten very good at code switching and
1: code switching can you explain what that yeah. is
2: so code switching is where either like in your mannerisms or in the way that you speak or just yeah just in different things that um you're presenting externally um you're subtly switching them to kind of fit the social space or the social group that you're Mm. um trying to present yourself to
0: have you ever like in friendships or in like people you know have you ever had these conversations with other men
2: yeah and i mean it's also it's difficult in every situation because every situation is just obviously so unique you know like i may have like an uncle right i'm out at a restaurant with his uncle he just starts catcalling someone as we're leaving the restaurant what the fuck am i gonna do i'm I'm <laughs> literally like bro yeah. stop being a dick and that's all i had to say and you know he was angry and he was you know i guess just like murmuring after but it's something that needed to be said and i'm wow. sorry i'm not gonna try to like soften it for something like that but then there are other times where i i've spoken to for example some of my close friends and maybe just certain terms that they'll use to like describe women and i'll be like yo wait maybe don't do it this way and like because of just different contexts i'll mold it so again back to the code switching like i may code switch but i think that these are also just conversations that even when they're uncomfortable and they're gonna be uncomfortable like we wouldn't be having them if they were comfortable conversations to begin with yeah um but you know they're necessary
1: Thanks, Joseph, so much for sitting down No with problem, us I love this. Giving us the male perspective. We needed it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Masculine norms can have severe consequences.
1: Without healthy coping mechanisms like crying or talking it out, some men resort to alcohol consumption or drug use. Other men might turn their pain into anger and lash out in physical or verbal aggression. And many will do none of this. Many will simply bear the brunt of their emotions in silence.
0: According to the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, men die from suicide at 3.5 times the rate of women. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., and 7 in 10 suicides are white men.
1: And for every death from suicide, there are 25 more men that will attempt it.
0: This is profoundly unfair and unequal. Today we're sitting down with Bennett. Bennett, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself?
3: Yeah, um, my name is Bennett Decker. Um, I'm studying political science at Columbia and Talmud, which is essentially Jewish law, um, at uh, the Jewish Theological Seminary. Um, I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it's good to be here.
0: So, Bennett, you're in a fraternity. Um, What What was the decision to join a fraternity like for you?
3: So. Um, I'm a brother of the Zeta Beta Tau fraternity here at Columbia, um, ZBT. Coming to college, I never thought that I would join a fraternity. Why? Um, so let me flip the question on you. I mean, like, what is your, what's your, as two women's perception of um, male Greek life?
0: I mean, I, if I was a man, I don't think I would want to join a fraternity because I see a lot of fraternity culture as performing, being as masculine as you can, and drinking until you pass out, or hazing to the point where you just have to prove that you are man enough to do it. Um, and I think that part of American culture really scares me.
1: Yeah, going off that, I uh, agree with Annie, I also think the hazing thing seems like sort of this whole elaborate scheme to, like, like prove you're not a pussy and doing all these crazy things, and I feel like that in itself kind of weeds out, like, that, that weeds out people who aren't interested in that, and then it leaves members who are very interested in not being a pussy and then maybe not being emotional and being aggressive and being, like, heavy drinkers or heavy partiers, and then that group is given... um like, houses and and, and alcohol um, in women through sorority affiliations. And that just seems like a pretty kind of dangerous combination. Um, It also sounds fun, like, not to hate anyone in a fraternity. Like, I feel like, do you do what you want to do for sure. It just, it it seems like a breeding ground maybe for some more toxic masculine energy. What do you think, Bennett? I I
3: think that, so, yeah, I think that that's a, a really fair... Um, assessment of where my understanding of fraternity life was at the beginning of college. Um, The reason why I joined ZBT um, is because I think that ZBT approaches fraternities differently um, in a really important and needed way. Um, So ZBT, and when I say ZBT, I'm not referring to anything other than my chapter. I only want to speak for my chapter. Um, I don't want to speak for ZBT as a fraternity nationally or other fraternities writ large um, because I think that we have very different visions than most fraternities um, in terms of how we see ourselves. Um, But the project of ZBT when we were recolonized um, a few years ago um, was, I think, a grand experiment. Can you define masculinity not by how many beers you can drink or how many women you can sleep with. Can you define masculinity amongst other men without misogyny or sexism or homophobia or racism or anti-Semitism? Can you do all of that? Can you eliminate all of those things? And is there anything left to attribute to the term masculinity? Uh, I think that that's a really bold endeavor because I think that masculinity for a long time has been built up as not these th- as as these things, which is to say they've been built up as not x being a man is defined by not being a woman mm-hmm. being being a man is defined by not being a fag um and so as a result, right, like we don't haze, we don't pledge, we accept all people identifying as men of good character, regardless of the gender that they were assigned at birth or their sexual orientation or their race or their religion, um, national identity, age, uh, or life experience. Um, That's amazing. I think that women's roles in conversations about toxic masculinity are really important. Um, women interact with masculinity by nature of interacting with men um, and are affected by the ways in which men define and express. But if we want to change what it means to be a man, then at the end of the day, it has to be men who have to undertake that challenge exactly. and not women. Um, and so to provide spaces for exclusively men to engage with those questions. Is really important.
1: I'm curious as to what what you've found so far in this experiment about what is left in masculinity. Yeah. I'm also thinking of like brotherhood and how, yeah, um, male friendships have seemed on the outside to be a little bit less um, emotional sometimes than female friendships or like you know sisterhood and sororities is so wonderful. I think for a lot of women, um, have you found that? In yeah, fraternity?
3: masculinity traditionally often demands that we bottle those feelings up um and that emotion out of the right context um is weakness um and i think one of the things that we're really trying that we like try to create a space that that says is there is no right context like emotions are things that you feel and if you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed if um you have relationship issues um, or issues at home, or things like that. Like these are brothers that you can express those emotions to, personally, openly, and in like the fullness of your being. Um, I don't know if that's masculinity. I haven't really figured that out yet.
0: Has in anyone honestly? Yeah. Fair <laughs> uh, sure enough.
3: Um, I don't know if that's masculinity, but I think that that's kindness, um, and that's a space that and, like, a way of living my life that I, like, want to participate in spaces that believe in that. Um,
0: Dee and I were talking earlier about the Meninist movement, and, like, Meninism, and how this word Meninism has... um, It's taken over the meaning of, like, hating women and, like, explicitly not being a male feminist. But I think that what... Like there's this big open space for men to mean like men talking about what it means to be a man and like men's issues because that just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's kind of happening in this space. Um, and I was wondering if you had any ideas on how, you know, other, other men could start creating those spaces or having that, those conversations like very purposely, like, you guys are doing
3: yeah i think that that's actually a really interesting point right? like that like actually that meninism is an essential component to feminism right we often think of men at the top of the hierarchy but in a lot of ways i think that like men are at the bottom of the hierarchy um in that like just like a classic example is that like often culture tells like women tells tells us that like women are, it is more socially acceptable for women to express emotion than it is for men to. Yeah. Why? We're human beings. We like all feel emotion. Exactly. Um, and I think that like men engaging with that disparity, um, is really essential for the project of feminism. And I think that like, right. Like that's like what it means to be allies and not just an ally Right like an an ally, Um, feels like you've like attached yourself to a broader project Mm -hmm. but allies at least to me feels like two people who are like or two individuals or two parties or two like two entities um, that are equally engaging in a project together
0: so how how do you think we can create these spaces because things like our women's college and the classes that we take have allowed us to think critically about women's roles and um, women in society, but I feel like there are no spaces for men to engage in that same learning and think about men in society. How, how do you think that we could change that or create those spaces?
3: So this isn't an idea that I've like fully formed yet. It's like a thought experiment that I've been playing around with for the past few months. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think that, like, good faith is actually, like, a really essential component of dichotomies um, in a really intangible way. And I think that we as people struggle with that because we like things to be, like, clear and tangible. Um, So, but, like, the problem with an all-male space is only a problem when it's done in bad faith, right? Like, when it's a venue for misogyny, right? Like, for example, like, the kind of classical perception of fraternities that we discussed a little bit earlier. um, That's a problem, right? Like that's a bad all-male space in the same way that like there could hypothetically be a bad all-female space. Definitely. Um, I think the project that ZBT is engaging in is an all-male space in good faith, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that really the problem isn't all-male spaces or like gender diverse spaces the problem is spaces that are existing in bad faith Mm -hmm. Um, and we want to create more spaces where men engage with questions of masculinity both in conversation with exclusively men or a diversity of genders equally and in good faith
0: can i just say that your vocabulary is wonderful oh thank you <laughs> every time you say something i'm like wow that is that's so good that's such a good word <laughs> thanks
3: thank you so much for doing this i've had a great time thank you for having i'm really us. honored that you uh that you tapped me for this <laughs>
0: yeah
1: Of course, men being expected to be tough and aggressive, and also channeling their unshared emotions into aggression, sometimes translates into violence against women. In fact, there are multiple studies linking the connection between masculinity and violence against women.
0: Let's take college fraternities as an example. Without going too deeply into all the good and bad of Greek life on college campuses and what that might represent, I believe it's fair to say that fraternities are usually pretty outwardly concerned with masculinity.
1: They work hard to recruit macho men, stereotypically those who can drink a lot and get a lot of women.
0: Meanwhile, fraternities avoid recruiting geeks or wimps, men that dress in a feminine way, and men who study feminine subjects such as nursing or a field in the humanities.
1: Frats then put their new recruits through hazing. Pledges are put through a series of trying tasks where they are often physically harmed, emotionally
0: embarrassed, or both. While this might be thought of as a way to build unity, it also serves to test one's toughness or manliness.
1: If someone were to refuse to do these things or drop out, they would be dismissed as weak and unfit to be a member.
0: Thus, it's fair to say that for better or for worse, most fraternities are made up of men who by the standards of the other brothers in the frat, are man enough to be a part of beta-theta apple pie. Now, fraternities have also been connected with sexual assault in recent years. It has largely been fraternities in the news carrying signs with the phrase, no means yes, yes means anal. And it has largely been at frat parties that I personally, a female college student, have felt the most unsafe.
1: Statistically, some journalists have reported that fraternity members on college campuses commit rape at a rate of 300% greater than non-fraternity members, while other sources report that fraternities are part of a larger college drinking culture that
0: leads to a high propensity of sexual assault. Concretely, though, university officials report that fraternities are the third riskiest property to insure behind toxic waste dumps and amusement parks.
1: Fraternities also represent a place in which all the factors that encourage violence against women converge. Parties, binge drinking, and mixers with other women.
0: Although I am no sociologist, the link between masculinity and sexual violence on college campuses seems to be undeniably intertwined.
1: The Mask You Live In, the documentary I mentioned earlier, also connects gun violence to masculinity, citing the fact that When men are struggling or mentally ill, but don't feel they can open up about it, a select few will become the Columbine shooters, while others will lash out against their wives, girlfriends, or the kids at school.
0: Are there other more subtle ways that male masculinity may harm women's well-being?
1: My little sister has been Snapchatting me life updates recently. She's 16 and angsty and stunning. Which apparently means that most of the boys she's casually friends with also happen to be in love with her. (laughs) Which, I mean, I don't blame them. But over the last year or so, these relationships have taken a darker turn. One boy specifically seems to have grown reliant on their friendship for emotional support. He texts her really heavy things on a regular basis. And when I'm home, she's often typing long, comforting paragraphs to him over text. This isn't inherently bad or unusual, we all have friends we lean on during tough times, but unfortunately, the relationship my sister has with this boy is somewhat lopsided. She has several friends, and an incredible sister, that she can turn to when she's upset. This boy she texts, he says she's the only one he can talk to. It escalated even more recently when he started talking about suicide. He began threatening it the same time she started trying to distance herself from him. It felt possibly manipulative and definitely stressful. I felt for her largely because I went through something similar myself. When I was in middle school, I befriended a similar boy. We were close for years. Feelings were always almost romantic but never mutual. And in the middle of sophomore year, he became pretty depressed and started unburdening himself onto me. As a very social teen with a lot on her plate, keeping him happy with me and his life quickly became overwhelming, an activity I participated in most hours of every day. He told me about his parents and his loneliness and the deep feelings of despair he harbored late at night. He told me he needed me and would hate me if I ever told anyone the things he told me. He said he needed me to keep his secrets and that he didn't have anyone else. One narrative around these men, these sad boys that unburdened themselves onto me and my family and my friends, is one of unfair expectations. Did I owe him more? He said I did. He said he needed me, that I friend-zoned him, that I owed him a kiss on the lips. At the time, I didn't know if he was right. Thinking back years later, this story feels like one of manipulation.
0: The larger picture here for me is that men aren't getting the support that they need, and the women in their lives are suffering because of it.
1: When men don't feel that they can sort through their complex feelings with the other men in their lives for fear of being told to man up, women must do the heavy lifting, often, one
0: woman. I have countless friends who have gotten out of past relationships with a complaint that they felt like the guy's mother or therapist. When men don't have the same network of support that women do, they take the brunt of their pain out on us. We are taxed with emotional labor.
1: What do you mean by emotional labor?
0: Putting an unnecessary burden of time and energy onto someone or taking on the job of someone else, such as a psychologist or a mother.
1: Gender schemas might say that, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. God made women nurturing patient creatures. And this is true for lots of women we can enjoy taking care of the men in our lives. I, for one, can't deny that helping my ex-boyfriend see the untapped potential he had inside him was one of the greatest joys of the
0: relationship. And with my friends, we spend long hours giving each other advice and talking about all the ups and downs of our lives. And I really enjoy both learning about their issues and helping them figure out solutions and getting help from them.
1: But when women take care of men emotionally... That care is often not reciprocated. That's the problem. I'm going to read a tweet by Dominickela22. I think that's how he said it. Quote, what men don't understand is nobody cooks for her. Nobody cleans for her. Nobody makes her meals. Nobody does her laundry. Nobody makes sure she's okay. Nobody caters to her period. A woman is always instantly looked at as someone who needs to take care of everyone.
0: Us taking care of men and taking care of ourselves means that nine times out of ten, the burden of emotional labor is at least a little bit unequal.
1: Wow, that makes me pretty angry.
0: For more information on constructs of masculinity and its consequences on men and women, watch The Mask You Live In on YouTube or Amazon Prime. And let us know your thoughts on the subject. Tweet us at Pretty Angry Pod or leave a comment on our website, prettyangry.org. Thanks for listening.